Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Mark chapter 11, verse 9. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Dowd. And I'm Reagan Gilliland. And this is Off Script, the podcast where every week we take a deeper dive on last Sunday's sermon, talk about the theology behind it, and get a chance to talk about anything that ended up on the cutting room floor that didn't make it into the sermon. We are talking about Palm Sunday this week. Exactly, we were in the home stretch to Easter. What did you give up for Lent, by the way? I didn't give up anything. I'm not Mm. really into that. I... Mm made a challenge to read more and listen to more podcasts instead of picking up my phone at night and just sitting in bed. And, Are you serious? That's yeah. like me committing to watching more Notre Dame football. <laughs> like, don't, isn't, that you, isn't that your jam, reading and listening to podcasts? Um, I can get really distracted with my phone or watch uh, shows with Scott. Huh. And so I'm like, we need to... Who's Scott? Scott's my husband. Wait, I have new listeners on I here know, all the time. Sorry, okay. Scott's my husband. All right. So what podcasts have you been... Like, have you been doing what you committed to do? Yeah, I mean... Not as good as I should, but uh, so I, I've been listening to the Inspired podcast mm-hmm. that our church is doing, mm-hmm. which is very good. What's that? Um, so um, Ashley Danner, Meredith McBride, and Kristen Steed are doing a book study on Inspired by Rachel Held Evans, mm-hmm. and then they're doing a podcast over it, and it's yeah. a fantastic book, and the podcast has been really enjoyable. Even if you don't read the book, mm-hmm. it's been it's been really, really good, um, and then I've done i love pantsuit politics that's uh one of my favorite podcasts uh, for the love jen Hatmaker. uh listen to a Brene brown one i've just kind of hopped around i've got a few that i just love see so, yeah. excellent okay very good what about you what'd you do so uh i committed to not skip meditation any day in lent so far so good uh, committed to read The Cross and the Lynching Tree by James Cone. I just have the conclusion to read. It's fantastic. We'll be talking more about that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, same kind of thing, kind of rededicating to spiritual disciplines. I, I did not give up anything this year for Lent because I think I might have said this on a column or something, but I feel like we all gave up a whole lot the past year. Uh-huh. It it seemed like redundant. Yeah. <laughs> So. Um, I know we're not to Easter yet, but do you do Easter baskets for your kids? Yeah. Oh, I've never done one for what? My... <laughs> oh my God. I know. <sighs> or like Valentine's. I'm just like, I know. Am I a terrible parent? Yes. I'm like... <laughs> the short answer to that is yes. Okay. So maybe, maybe this is the year that you maybe this is the year. commit. Well, I was just, you know, I figured I'm going to have to start when she starts asking other kids, like in school, she'll be like, wait, I didn't get one of those. Now. I should specify the Easter Bunny comes to our house. Okay. And um, the Easter Bunny is very knowledgeable because I don't know if you know this, but Easter Sunday is a work day for pastors. Yeah. And Dad likes to see the unveiling of the Easter basket. Of course. So um, we didn't have, last year was the first year we didn't have to do it. But the, what happens in our house is the uh, Easter Bunny leaves a scavenger hunt at the house okay. that ends. In my office. And so magically, every year on Easter, when I get here for the sunrise service, yeah, the Easter baskets are in my office, and the kids in between services will come and That's open their Easter baskets. Good job, Easter Bunny. Yeah. Okay. 
Maybe I'll put a word in. Parenting goals. Okay. <laughs> so what's in your type of Easter basket for baskets? Like, are these like toys and movies or is it all candy? Or? Uh, great question. Who's that new voice on the podcast, oh. by the way? Oh, hi. I'm Ashley. I'm Ashley Danner. Okay. Producer of the she's podcast. She's a producer. Yeah, she's been in the background the whole time. I'm curious because I used to get some stuff. So yes. I'm interested. So the centerpiece of any Easter basket is the chocolate Easter bunny. First of all, jelly beans aren't appropriate. I've got lots of opinions about this. Jelly beans are a, an appropriate non-chocolate candy for the Easter basket. Anything else is trash. There it okay? is, trash. No, Market. don't even talk to me about peeps. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> so, now, now that's for me. Um, but then there are always our, our gifts. So, last year, um, it was games of some kind. It, it, we were in the quarantine, so Easter Bunny brought us, like, um, code names. You know mm. code names? Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. So, there's a Harry Potter code names. There's there a Harry Potter theme, for sure. Mm-hmm. I was a 90s kid, so there was always a, a release of a Disney movie around yeah, that time. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. for after Easter dinner, we would have a... Yes. I usually got yes. a VHS. Yes. Yeah, VHS. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're bringing back fond, fond memories. Oh, yeah. I love Easter. Yeah. All right, Chris. So I really enjoyed this sermon because uh, you kind of do a little bit more storytelling, like imaginative. So I really felt like I was in the story. Yeah, thanks. And so I really appreciate that. Um, okay, so you open the sermon talking about the entrances of uh, Pilate versus Jesus in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Can you talk, um, do you know about the size of the city at that time? And then follow up, when you visited Jerusalem, were you, did you think it was bigger or smaller than you had envisioned? Yeah, so, you know, scholars disagree about that. Um, the first century, how big Jerusalem was in the first century. Yeah. The point that I made in the in the sermon is that it, during Passover, which was the highest, holiest festival for our first century Jewish brothers and sisters, still is today, but there was a, it was a pilgrimage festival back then to the temple. And so the, the population of Jerusalem grew kind of exponentially. The normal population of Jerusalem, um, it, it depends on who you ask. At, at, the, at a minimalist end, uh, archaeologists would say like the low end would be 20,000 okay. normally. Um, I think a more common estimate would be somewhere between 70 and a hundred thousand. Okay. Um, during the Roman siege of Jerusalem, I looked this up. I don't know this off the top of my head. Okay. During the Roman siege of Jerusalem, um, the, the Roman historian Tacitus, who gives a lot of information about uh, kind of our baseline archeological knowledge, um, estimated during the siege that it was as many as 600,000 people. Oh, and, wow. it, and it may have grown to somewhere approaching like multiple hundreds of thousands during Passover, okay. which is why during that era in the first century, Pilate, not a good guy, mm-hmm. not a philosopher king, as some of the gospels portray him, including my favorite gospel, John. Okay. Um, a ruthless and violent prefect, mm-hmm. governor. Yeah. Um, would move his headquarters from the shores of the Mediterranean at Caesarea Maritime to Jerusalem because of, I mean, so uh, Passover <laughs> is the festival celebrating the liberation of Jewish people, right? The deliverance from slavery yeah. uh, in Egypt. Um, so as a liberation festival, <laughs> this restive population under the, under the thumb of a ruthless Roman prefect um, got restless <laughs> mm-hmm. and Pilate feared an uprising. And so every year at the Passover, he would move his headquarters to Jerusalem. And so you, 
various hist- various theologians and historians have kind of painted the picture that I painted um, in the in the sermon. But Caesarea Maritime is on the west, is is west of Jerusalem. Um, the Mount of Olives, which is where Jesus, like from which Jesus yeah. entered Jerusalem, is the east. And so could have been certainly for the same uh, event, Passover, mm-hmm. maybe the same day, maybe the very same time, these two very different processions come into Jerusalem. It's a pretty striking image. Yeah. I had never thought about them like coming at the same time mm-hmm. on opposite ends mm-hmm. in a different, so. And and what I say in the sermon is, you know, by the end of the week, they're going to be face to face with monumental consequences yeah. <laughs> for the course of human history. Right. But on this particular day, you know, Pilate was coming in, uh, representing the values of the empire. So power, might, violence. Yeah. Um, and then Jesus was coming in as a, as a Messiah of peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you really like saying prefect? <laughs> I don't know what, well, I know what house Pilate would have been in. Yeah. Slytherin, Slytherin clearly. For sure. Jesus? I think Jesus was Gryffindor. Oh, Hufflepuff? Hufflepuff. Huff, Hufflepuff. That'll okay. make Max happy. I mean, according to the most recent test that we that my family took to prepare for our trip to Universal, Sam is a Gryffindor. It's our youngest. Whitney is a Ravenclaw. She's the brains of the operation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we get off on a whole... Hot, we should actually do a Harry Potter Christianity podcast. Uh, anyway, Max and I are both Hufflepuff, so make of that what you will. Okay. No Slytherins in the Dowd household. No. Okay. Um, okay. So you talk, uh, first of all, so Pilot has a vacation home. So the first vacation home, he has a city. Jerusalem. Yeah. He's got an apartment in the city. So here's the thing. He, by all accounts, you know, but what, what we can surmise from the historical record, he wasn't a fan of the people he was ruling. Yeah. It so Jerusalem like would definitely not have been a vacation home. He would have arrived in Jerusalem the way I put it in the sermon, in a very foul mood. And every every soldier with him would have been on edge. Because okay. this normal you know, this normal town that was normally somewhere maybe fifty thousand people now had I don't know, three hundred thousand, two hundred and fifty thousand people. Yeah. All of whom were celebrating their deliverance from oppression yeah. by their God in the most important religious festival in their year. And you know, the first century in, in Palestine, in Judea, in that area, whatever whatever term you want to use, um, was a period of sedition. It was, a, I mean, by, by the end of the century, uh, the Romans will have destroyed the temple. Mm-hmm. They will have had enough of, their, of the Jewish uprisings. Um, so it was, it, was a, it was a time of high tension. Okay. So knowing that uh, Pilate does not enjoy his people <laughs> um and that all these people were, was it i mean was it dangerous to make this pilgrimage do you think because of the romans yeah um uh that's a good question so early first century it would not have been dangerous in the city because okay. <laughs> there was plenty of security in the city okay but any kind of travel in that era was fraught and so anytime there was the there were these pilgrimage um festivals in Jerusalem, you would have traveled in a large group. There's actually a story in the gospels about that when they went to the, when Jesus was 12 and they lose him, Yeah, <laughs> um, they would have been with a large group for security. Right. Uh, and some of Jesus' most famous 
parables. I mean, think about the parable of the Good Samaritan mm-hmm. is kind of grows out of this fact that travel was dangerous. Okay. okay. I just didn't think, I just was thinking about like if people traveled and they thought, well, oh, this is the year there's going to be an uprising, like, mm. you know. So I didn't, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. So because of the way that crowd greeted Jesus, you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I, I'm, I'm not sure if, uh, for, for sure, the expectation of the Messiah is that they would throw off the Roman rule. Okay. Um, we know in retrospect that Jesus did indeed overturn the status quo, just not the way they expected. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, it's hard to, it's a little tricky for us to get into the mindset of a Jew in the year 33 AD. Right what they were expecting to happen when Jesus arrived. But the fact that he comes in on a donkey, which is a a, sim, a sign of peace. Mm-hmm. And, and in the sermon, we reference um, the prophecy of Zechariah, which is w- clearly what Jesus is um, hearkening to mm-hmm. in this entrance. Uh, that was not a, it was not a, like the, the description of the king is humble mm-hmm. as opposed to, Pilate on the other side of town with his yeah so can you talk about how he enters because you you reference it in your in your sermon about like all the scriptures of what was was going on versus how Jesus entered that day and then really how Jesus entered the world in the beginning Uh you know so talk about that humble entirely right I mean so the incarnation like we this is the thing that is so um, revolutionary is maybe the word that the notion that God that the king of creation would enter the world through this poor family from mm-hmm. Nazareth, this backwater at, a, at the far edges of the Roman Empire, yeah. is, is um, kind of revolutionary enough. Mm-hmm. And then at the culmination of his last week, you know, when he's kind of going to meet his destiny, his final destiny, that he would arrive in this very humble way, uh, it's, it should. It wouldn't be surprising for a first-century Jew because they would have looked for those signs mm-hmm. from Zechariah. Um, but it's certainly not what Pilate was expecting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, there's plenty of evidence that that Pilate executed Jesus because he feared insurrection. Um, I mean, that's that's who were put up on crosses. Yeah. You know, revolutionaries and as a as a as a sign of terror. I mean, it was an instrument mm-hmm. of terror to prevent the population from rising up in a similar way. So the um, the dichotomy that we're of these two processions is that one is all about the values of the kingdom. That's Jesus. One's all about the values of the empire. That's Pilate. At the end of the week, it's going to look like Pilate wins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On the first day of the next week, it's clear that Pilate loses. Right. But not in the way anybody expected. No. I just liked how you, you talked about how like, Pilate entered, you know, had a chariot and horses and swords and armor and like just a big military parade. But you know, we can all picture it. Right? Yeah, and then there's Jesus, like on a donkey. Just him, <laughs> like, just him on a donkey. Yeah, and w- with the crowds mm-hmm. laying palm branches and their cloaks at his feet, which was a sign of that, that's uh, that harkens back to the kind of golden days of the kingdom. So yeah, that, that's a royal procession. Yeah, which I looked that up. I'm like, where else did that happen? And I think I've, I found it somewhere in the Old Testament. 
Second um, Kings nine thirteen. Mm-hmm. That's the only other place I'd really found it. But um, yeah, I think I feel like if I was Jesus, I probably would have, um, you know, having power over thing. I probably would have like messed with the horses that like carried Pilate. Like, why don't you, why don't you buck them off? <laughs> you know? If you were Jesus, yeah, <laughs> like just mess with them. I don't know. <laughs> Just I'm, mess with them. I don't know. I just feel like I would have played pranks if I was Jesus. <laughs> have you ever read any of the um, alternative gospels? Um, I don't think. I, no, I haven't. Like there, the, some of the alternative gospels. Like you know, there's the Gospel of Peter. There's the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. There's the Gospel of Thomas. Uh, and in some of these other stuff that didn't make it in the canon, yeah, Jesus does that. Like he, <laughs> as a child, uh-huh. so he wants to impress a girl. So he he makes. Uh, pigeons out of clay and then turns them into real pigeons and they fly <laughs> uh he's playing with a kid and he gets mad at the kid and he, and he like kills him and then he resurrects him <laughs> because he realizes he's in trouble <laughs> that, that didn't make the cut though that yeah. ended up on the cutting room floor okay the, the bible is like yeah he's not a he's not a mischievous wizard yeah <laughs> right i just think it's funny to, yeah to picture that kind of stuff i'm like all right i have the power to do whatever i want <laughs> but doesn't abuse it which is well that's but that's the yeah that's it. that is the core of the gospel. Uh-huh. I mean, this is the like this is Philippians two. Like he, got, he though he is in the form of God, mm-hmm. he became a slave. Mm-hmm. That's Paul's language. Yeah. Um, it's about it's about humility. It's about uh, the last should be first and the first should be last. It's about this overturning. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's to me, Mer- Meredith and I were talking about this yesterday because we were filming Children's Time. And we have the palm branches and the cloaks and all that. And I think, um, with the exception of the nativity, and everybody, everybody knows how I feel about Christmas, right? right? <laughs> but the imagery of the nativity is incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that there's a more powerful image in the story of Jesus, with the exception of the Christmas stories, than Palm Sunday. Mm-hmm. I mean, the cross has its own kind of unique power, right? but that's... Um, that's also uh, kind of a revolutionary power, right? I mean, it's um, we're not expecting this instrument of torture to be an, uh, a symbol of God's conquering of death. Yeah, I mean, we do in retrospect, but they, they wouldn't have the the imagery of him entering Jerusalem with the adoring crowds, um, especially when you contrast it with historically what was going on with Pilate. Is just a, it's an incredibly powerful visual, and what they're shouting at him is Hosanna. And I had to look this up, by the way, because I'm always I always want to say Hosanna. It's not Hosanna; it's Hosanna for sure. Um, but that means save now. It's almost like a command, hmm. <laughs> and he's going to, but just not the way they expect. Yeah, you know, I mean, that is this is a, a core tension that underlies the gospel where the disciples have these expectations of him not similar not dissimilar to what you were articulating like you can prank Pilate you could totally I mean you could (laughs) you could zap him and kill him if you wanted to yeah and Jesus himself in John's gospel will say to Pilate you don't have any power over me Mm -hmm. don't kid yourself (laughs) Um, but yet God surprises us and um, I just think we lose sight of that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 
we're we are we are much more now defenders of the status quo than we are people who want to turn the world upside down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which means we like I, I don't know. It's it's the same patterns and history repeat itself over mm-hmm. and over again. Yeah. So you talk about the Roman Empire and how you know they had obviously it was this massive empire, mm. <laughs> and it was a brutal cost. Um, so can you apply that to like nowadays? Because you kind of talk about how we can look like Rome at times. Um, yeah. My point is we are Rome. Okay. Because we're and and I don't mean. Um, like what I mean by that is we are the biggest, baddest on the block. <laughs> so it's a hard for, it's hard for us to identify with the oppressed religious minority. Mm-hmm. That's not who we are anymore. Um, and, and the point that I make in the sermon is that that comes with tremendous temptation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, that comes with like being an empire has its own set of values that it's about self-preservation and the accumulation of more power and the retention of the power that we have. Like that's what an empire does. Um, we have no equal on earth in terms of our, in terms of economics, in terms of our military, in terms of our influence. I mean, we go through periods of ups and downs and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but that was Rome in the, in the first century. I mean, they were, they ruled. <laughs> And they didn't have to listen to what anybody else thought or said, or they certainly didn't have to care what Jews thought or said. Um, and those came, those empire values uh, that are about wealth and power and you know violence in the case mm-hmm. of Rome, maintaining that power, are in opposition to the kingdom values of peace and humility and love, and the unique challenge that I think 21st century Christians face is that we're raised with the values of the empire. Yeah. But we're, our discipleship expects (laughs) us to live out of the values of the kingdom. Yeah. And that's just really hard. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, You know, being wealthy is not a problem in and of itself. It's, when the when the value of being wealthy mm-hmm. trumps or supersedes yeah. uh, your your religious commitments, mm-hmm. your theological commitments, um, and you know the Bible in in a sense, <clears throat> Bible's about a lot of things, but in a sense you can it's a it's a long cautionary tale about the dangers of of empires, <laughs> you know, yeah. Egyptians. Assyrians, Babylonians, Romans, even even the leaders of Israel in the Golden Age, mm-hmm. very frequently confused earthly values, empire values, for like they they clung to those and forgot their religious commitments. Yeah, which is this? I mean, read the prophets, <laughs> and all that's all that's what the prophets are talking about the entire time. Like we're 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 in love with money and power and fame. I mean, fill in the blanks with yeah. the world worldly values and we forget that that's not what god is about Mm -hmm. you know to me the choice that we're given on palm sunday is to resonate with one or the other of those and to choose one or the other of those sets of values yeah i'm like of course we think 
We want to identify with the crowds <laughs> waving palm branches. Yeah. That's not who we are, like, sociologically. <laughs> it's it's good to remind ourselves that's who we should be. Because, you know, the the rest of the story of Holy Week is that no small number of the people waving palm branches on Sunday will call for his execution on Friday. Yeah. Now, Mark's version of that is that they're manipulated by the chief priests who have their own reasons to defend the status quo. Yeah. But it sure is easy. It sure is easy to forget what we're supposed to be all about. Mm-hmm. And the fact that God, that God, God's self chose to enter the world in humility and to exit the world in humility mm-hmm. <laughs> should tell us everything we need to know about the values that we should be internalizing. But we kid ourselves <laughs> if we over-identify with first century Jews and under-identify with first century Romans. Yeah. Yeah. You said so much there. I feel like we could unpack a lot of that. <laughs> um, trying to think. Okay, so how... I'm trying to put it in terms. Um, so as we're raising kids, like, I don't I don't know if you feel this tension. Like, I want Andy to to work hard and achieve things and think that she can do anything. Yeah. But then I'm like, I also want you to be humble. And I want you, you know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, do yeah. you feel that? Oh, because, yeah, yes. I want her to... I want her discipleship to be so strong, but I also, especially raising a girl, I'm like, no, I want you to be the CEO. Like, come yeah. on, girl, yeah, bring yeah, it. Yeah. So how do you, how do you feel that tension? Listen, it's the distinction between the, let's just take money. Okay. Okay. And we'll use money, the, the value money to equal wealth, which equals the value of like material mm-hmm. security or whatever. Okay. The Bible doesn't say that that in and of itself is bad. The Bible says that the love of that is mm-hmm. bad. <laughs> right? It's not it's not the it, it's not having power that's the problem. It's not being wealthy that's the problem. It's not confidence that's the problem. It's when that becomes the um the thing by which you define your lives. You know, we talked about this last week with the two core values that Brené Brown. Yeah. Like w- being clear on your two core values is really really important. So for Rome, it was about maintaining power and wealth like those were the overarching values and whatever it took to maintain those were they were willing to do yeah including hanging people on a tree mm-hmm. to die and decompose like it, it was a gruesome way to go yeah um because that was what was most important to them and jesus subversive that's the word i've been looking for so jesus <laughs> enters into to the world and then enters into Jerusalem in this subversive way saying, I know you think that's what's most important and it's going to look like that wins in the end, but yeah. I promise you it does not. Yeah. So, you know, like, yeah, I look, I'm hyper competitive with the kids. I want them to be number one in their class. If they can do that, I want them to get the best job that they can. I want them to get to the best schools, all of that. Because I think that, um, I, I'm a creature of the empire, mm-hmm. but I also want them to know that that's not the most important thing. Yeah. <laughs> the most important thing in their life is their is Christ and their relationship with Christ and all of the things that Christ wants them mm-hmm. to do and be so that when they get that power, they use that power for good. Yeah. Be wealthy. Sure. And then give 10% of that to the church <laughs> and make sure the church can do its ministry. Yeah. Be powerful and then stand up for people who don't have power. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. it's it's the proper use of power that's the problem. When 
Paul in Philippians says, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Whoever you are, however you show up in life, like whatever your career is, all of that, you know, you're working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He says that that same later in that same passage. It's, it's, it's what guides you. It's what, uh, it's what motivates you and it's how it's what you do with what you have. That's, that's the key issue. Mm -hmm. Rome grasped what they had accumulated more and destroyed anybody who stood in their way. Yeah. That's the power. That's the value of the empire. Mm -hmm. That's what we need to not be. Yeah. (laughs) Even though we're modern day Rome, Mm -hmm. but boy, we sure are like that sometimes. Yeah. I, gosh, all of Holy Week is so powerful because it's, it's a, it's this encapsulation of, um, like at a real gut check level because mm-hmm. Holy Week's a gut wrenching week, but it's revelatory of what is truly important. Yeah. Like the fact that Jesus on, Ma- on Monday, Thursday can calmly get together with his disciples and give them this symbolic meal that will remind them of who they are. Mm-hmm knowing what's about to happen right with the guy at the table that's about to betray him Uh the fact that he can go to the cross knowing what he's about to endure but also like understanding that that is a subversive message Mm -hmm. for the people to remember and hold on to and wear around their necks for the rest of eternity yeah it's awesome Mm -hmm. and all of it is to is to remind ourselves that um there is a set of values by which we are to live, and there's a set of values which we are to reject. And God help us when we lose sight of that. Mm-hmm. And it's real easy to lose sight of that. Right. So we see that with the chief priests, they lose sight of it. Exactly. Which, you know, you read it, and I just think, gosh, they they should be the ones waiting with bated breath that the Messiah is coming. And then he shows up, and they just reject him over and over and over again. And I'm like, wow. Why? Like, shouldn't you be so stoked? Like, here it is. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's because they... They had too much to lose. Yeah. <laughs> they, you know, they, they gathered all this power and the status and they're like, and they looked at them aside and like, uh, this is this is more important, whatever they're holding. And the, the brilliance of John's gospel, was specifically on this issue, is the, is, is the glimpse that you get into the religious leadership. Mm-hmm. Like how they choose i mean i'm gonna put this from a christian perspective okay and and in fairness a jewish rabbi would probably have a different view of this or i don't know maybe would have a different view of this um but from a christian perspective choosing not god over god is the choice of self (laughs) over over the principles that we know are like that god consistently teaches us so like again i don't want to overly critique the cheap priests and scribes but i will say that in the passion narrative in in john anyway um the religious authorities say we have no king but caesar which is an overt over identification with human power (laughs) over what god is doing among them because there's fear over losing what human power gives us. Does it make sense? It is it's the it's the countercultural thing to choose 
loving God and loving neighbor over what the world offers. And so, like, let's go back to raising our kids to choose kingdom values over empire values. And we could probably start with the, sticking with money, mm-hmm. right? So I'm just going to go to, a real, to a, real, a real tactile, like a real concrete example. Do you, do you give money to the church or do you keep that money to build your own wealth? Mm-hmm. Well, you really got to do both. Yeah. <laughs> a financial planner will say the first thing you got to do with your money is save 10%. Our faith tells us the first thing you got to do with your money is give 10%. Right. There's a real simple choice. What do you choose? Well, I mean, hopefully we're raising our kids to give the first 10% to church. To, I mean, to the church. Obviously, I'm a company man, right? Yeah. I've got, I don't have a, it's not like I have, I'm, it's not like I'm disinterested in this issue. Yeah. But in terms of their own faith development, that's where it's got to go first. That's the first choice you have to make. It can't be, well, I'll give 10% what's left over after I make sure all my mm-hmm. material needs are cared for. Another thing. Uh, if, if the world, if your, this is beyond our children, if the world and your social circle and your political group and your friends all have a particular view of, um, an issue, mass shooting, let's say, let's take Boulder, Colorado, mm-hmm. the most recent geographical name that we associate with yeah. somebody pulling out an AR-15 and killing a bunch of people yeah. as quickly as they can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you going to cling to a um, an amendment? <laughs> Are you going to cling to love? <laughs> Come on. Like that is that that is Are we going empire or are we going kingdom? Yeah. Am I going to be uh, committed to let's go. Okay, I'm gonna get to preaching. Bring it. <laughs> Immigration. Am I going to be committed to law and order, <laughs> mm-hmm. or am I going to take seriously all the stuff, all the laws about loving my neighbor, right, and welcoming the stranger? I mean, it, it's not necessarily an either or, mm-hmm. but. But my God, this, like, the values of the one who rode into Jerusalem on a donkey mm-hmm. have to, have to be top of mind. Even if we sort through those religious commitments and kind of balance that about against real world, mm-hmm. uh, I'm using air quotes, real world um, issues, at some point I have to choose God over all my other commitments. Right. I have to. That's what Palm Sunday is all about. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm cheering on the war horses coming into from the west side of town. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole. It's it's so good. So yeah. I mean, the whole you, you named a lot of stuff there, but I hope that our first <laughs> gun few, control and immigration <laughs> policy. There you go. Woo. Um, <laughs> Happy Holy Week, everybody. Yeah. Like we want, we want as disciples, like I hope that our first reaction to a lot of things is compassion and love and that our heart is broken for what breaks God's heart. And like just thinking through it and I'm like, well, what's my obligation to, uh, to the world or how I vote or who I, you know, it's like, no, 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 that shouldn't be your first. Is my first inclination to defend the status quo Mm -hmm. or is my first inclination to ask what, what is the kingdom principle here at work? And I know I'm using, like, some people are distracted by kingdom because that's old language. Yeah. But it's it's the 
It's the values that Christ taught us. Love God, love neighbor. Mm -hmm. Humility, peace, love. Is that my default? Yeah. Or is it, what am I going to lose if mm -hmm. such and so happens? Yeah. Which, what's my, what's my default? Which I'm like, sometimes it's okay to lose. <laughs> That's the thing. I'm like, we're, especially in America, like it's all about winning. It's all about being, like, sometimes it's okay to lose. It's okay to lose. <laughs> well, Jesus sure looks like the loser on Good Friday. Right. All of his disciples look like the loser on Good Friday. Yeah. You put those two processions on Palm Sunday against one another. Mm -hmm. Please. You betting on the guy on the donkey or the guy on the war horse? Yeah. Well, obviously the guy on the war horse. Come on, what are we even talking about? <laughs> right. But no, that but no, did we take a step back? No, of course it's the guy on the donkey. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like that's the perfect that's the perfect distillation of these are the things these are the values of the empire, I, and I I just love that empire versus kingdom yeah. dichotomy, and I just think that. Um, you know, in Bible study, you end up um, inevitably in every Bible study about the Gospels. Mm -hmm. Inevitably, someone will say, "How could they not have gotten it?" <laughs> he's been telling them all along he's going to die and rise again. How, how how does Peter not get it? How do these people waving palms on Sunday end up calling for his crucifixion on Friday? Mm -hmm. And as gently as I can in those settings, I say, "Because that's what we do all the time." Yeah. Hold up a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a historical document we're talking about. This is like the, the Bible is describing how people are all the time. Mm -hmm. And it looks different for us. Yep. But, boy, I tell you what, the, the, I tell you, the mass, the mass shooting thing is really, uh, I, I think probably, I don't know, I have a hard time reading. Inevitably, every time the mass shooting happens, there's an article that follows that kind of places you in the moment. So I read one in the Washington Post uh, from Boulder. So it's two thirty in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. People are doing groceries, yeah, and all of a sudden gunshots go off. And if it's a good writer, a good journalist, they'll put you in the scene. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and if I don't know, man, if our if our reaction to that is anything other than righteous indignation mm -hmm. and this burning desire for a solution to that problem, <laughs> if that's not our first reaction. Mm -hmm then chances are we're operating under a different set of values unconsciously than the guy riding in Jerusalem on a donkey would have a limiter. Yeah. So how, how did they not see it? Because we don't see it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's how they didn't see it. Yeah. They didn't. We don't. But there's 66 books in the Bible tell us we don't get it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, these are, and these are not charming stories of yesteryear. Mm -hmm. I open up my my phone with that you know with my news app. I'm like, yep, we still don't get it. We still don't get it. We still don't get it. Yeah, yeah. And it's not simplistic. The world's not full of easy answers. If it was, we would have you know chased down those answers a long time ago. Sure. I'm not. I'm not trying to oversimplify complicated um, political problems. But I just think that. Um, I think we default more to the empire values than we think we do. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, is part kind of why I love Star Wars. <laughs> like the whole empire in Star Wars is yeah. it's pretty it's prophetic, mm -hmm. right? Anyway, I think I got more to meddling than than I was uh, <laughs> desiring to at the start of Holy Week. But if ever you're going to meddle, 
you know. <laughs> so we could do it. Well, <laughs> it sure is the the week when everything comes to a head. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. There you have it. Okay. All right. So we we are in the middle of Holy Week. I hope everybody joins us on Monday, Thursday, and then on Good Friday. You can join us in person or online. Seven o'clock. Uh, Monday, Thursday, of course, is the commemoration of the last of the Lord's Supper. Good Friday, of course, is we know what that is about. And then the quietest year in the Christian calendar is uh, Holy Saturday. Mm-hmm. Nothing really happens, which is okay. We could all use that. And then, of course, Easter Sunday. I affectionately refer to as Super Bowl Sunday in the church, <laughs> full of all kinds of awesome activities. And uh, so we appreciate you all being with us. Uh, you can email us at the church if you've got feedback or questions. <laughs> <laughs> to Chris. <laughs> Not to me. Yeah, it's uh, Reagan, R-A-E-G-A-N <laughs> at C-U-M-C dot com. Uh, but we appreciate you being with us, and we look forward to our Easter edition, which will be next week. God bless you as we journey through Holy Week together. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Off Script. It was hosted by Reverend Chris Dowd and Reverend Reagan Gilland. Produced by Ashley Danner as a part of the Christ United Podcast Ministries. You can visit cumc.com backslash podcasts in order to see all of the series we have available. Like, subscribe, and follow us so that you don't miss a single episode. Thank you for supporting us. Have a great week.